Picture this. You're on a battlefield, and you're running around, and people are shooting shots. Bam, bam, and throwing grenades. And that was a weird sound like a duck. But there's just, I don't know. But there's all these crazy things happening on the battlefield. And you're like, I don't know what to do because I'm 12. And then you turn to your commanding officer. You turn to the head honcho. You turn to the general, the guy who's in charge of the battle. And you look at him and your PowerPoint stops working. Um, there we go. You look at him and you say, what do I do? Mr. General, what do I do? Now, imagine that this guy started throwing nouns at you. Nouns, right? You say, what do I do? And he starts throwing nouns. He's like, he's like, gun. You're like, what? <laughs> I know, I have one. What do I do? Enemy. Wait, what? Like, grenade. He's like, okay. And you like take off the pen and then you blow up. If he started throwing, or if he threw out adjectives, That'd be even worse. You're on the battlefield, like, what do I do, General? And he looks at you, and he's like, extremely fierce. You're like, what? Like, what do I do? Happy. What? No, in that kind of situation, you don't want nouns. You don't want adjectives. You want what? Verbs. When you're fighting on the battlefield, you want to know, what do I do? Where do I go? What verbs are going to be the ones that I'm using in this situation? And that's why today, the study I'm calling is... What, there we go, what are you doing? That's what we're calling this study. James 4, verses 7 through 10. The question I want to ask today is, what are you doing? And in James chapter 4, verse 7 through 10, there's nine verbs we're going to look at. Nine things we can do. I'm actually excited about this message because the whole series is called Live It Out. And these are verbs that we're going to give to you today where we can tell you junior hires what you can do, remember, do, it's a verb, it's what you do. We're going to tell you guys what you guys can do. Think of it as we're in a battle. I like to call it also verbs for victory. That was another way we could call this, but I like better what are you doing. Because last week, we looked at what are you looking for. Today, we want to look at what are you doing. That's the question we're going to ask ourselves. So let's go right to it. In James chapter 4, verse 7, it says, Therefore... Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. When I was a kid, I had a hard time submitting. I don't know what it was. It was weird. I'd, I'd clean my room, but I'd only do it on my own terms. Maybe you suffer from the same thing. If cleaning your room is your idea, you're like, this is the greatest idea ever, because you really want your room clean. So you'll go and you'll you'll clean it and you'll make it look amazing and you'll, you'll actually put things where they go and not shove them in your closet. Like you'll do your best. Excuse me, Mike Stan. But if your mom asks you to clean your room, it's like the worst idea ever. And you don't want to submit. You're like, oh, I wish she just would have waited until it was my own idea. That would be like six months from now, probably. But you know, your mom asks you to clean your room and it's just, it's like the worst thing ever. And we have this problem submitting. To submit means to basically do what someone else wants us to do, and we do it with a happy face, and we do it with a happy heart, that's submission. It's, it's giving someone else authority in our lives to tell us what to do, and, and we have a problem with submission. We've had it ever since the beginning. You see, God made Adam and Eve, right? 
And he said, I love you. I'm your heavenly father. You're my children. I've got this awesome plan for you. I've got this awesome life. But you have to listen to me. You have to obey me. You have to submit to me. What did they do? The first chance that came along, God said, you can do whatever you want. Literally, do whatever you want. But just don't eat the fruit from this tree. That's the only thing I ask you not to do. Just don't eat the fruit from the tree. Satan comes along and he tempts. And he says, did God really say not to eat that fruit? Did God really say not to do that? And they ate the fruit. And basically what they didn't know was they were signing a contract with Satan basically saying, we give Satan the rights to persecute us and make our lives risible and the lives of our children, our children's children, our children's children for the rest of our lives. And that's what brought sin into the world. And we've been doing it ever since. We're rebels, all of us. Like all of you in some way are rebels. All of you in some way are just rebels without a cause, rebelling against authority. I was the same way. We watch movies and rebels seem awesome. The Rebel Alliance and Star Wars were amazing. But as kids, sometimes we can look at every authority figure as Darth Vader and we're just like, Parents are terrible. Teachers are terrible. I don't want to submit. I just want to be rebellious. I think a lot of times for me, uh, I have been uh, rebellious even against God. I mean, for instance, I felt God calling me into the ministry at a young age. I, I, even when I was in junior high, there was people who spoke to me. And they're like, you're going to be like... You're going to be in ministry one day. You're going to serve people. But I didn't want to do that. I wanted to do my own thing. I wanted to make movies and go to Hollywood. That was my dream. And so for a while, I was even sub like rejecting submitting to God in that way of my life. But I think of it this way. We have submission wrong. We think of submission as this bad thing. We think of submission as giving in to someone. Or we think of submission as like giving in to the wrong things. We think of submission as like someone wants to put chains on us and we just have to like go, oh, okay, handcuff me. Think of it this way, okay? Imagine you're going to get run over by a train. Imagine a 1920s villain with a twirly mustache has tied you to a train track, and the train is coming. Now imagine your rescuer comes, and he's this, I don't know, like, what's more preferable? Like, if you're a lady, like some guy with, like, long flowing hair, and he, like, comes up, he's like, hello, I'm here to rescue you. Dudes, I don't know what you want, like a T-Rex. A T-Rex comes to rescue you. You're like, yes, Rexdoor, this is amazing. And he shows up, and he starts untying the ropes. Now imagine if you were not to submit to that. Imagine if your rescuer comes to untie the ropes, and you're like, no, don't. I want to get run over by this train. Leave me alone. That would be dumb. But a lot of times, that's what we do. You see... Jesus is our savior. Jesus is our deliverer. He's our rescuer. And Satan is trying to tie us down to the train tracks of sin throughout our whole life. Jesus comes to rescue us. He says, hey, don't do that sin. Hey, please stop being disrespectful. Hey, please stop lying to your parents. Hey, please stop having that bad attitude. But we resist so much. It's like, no, I don't. I don't want to give up that attitude. I don't want to give up these feelings of bitterness. I don't want to give up this sin because it's part of just me and enjoying my life and, and being angry at people actually makes me feel better about myself. And a lot of times we allow Satan to tie us down to the train tracks and we reject Jesus saving us. Jesus has the best intentions for you. In Jeremiah 29, 11, it says, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you in a future and a hope. And I've even heard some people say, this verse is overused and it's out of context, but I don't think it's out of context at all because we know God is a heavenly father and he loves his children. And what father thinks evil thoughts about his kids? What good father sits around? Like, what father doesn't sit around and think about his kid's future and think, I have the best intentions for my kids. I have wonderful intentions for my kids. What father doesn't want a future and hope for his kids? God is our heavenly father. I absolutely, even though God was speaking to Jeremiah in this verse, I think we can say this verse applies to us because God has the heavenly father's heart. 
Now we're talking about the battlefield, right? And you got soldiers on the battlefield. We're so, so we're supposed to submit like a soldier submits to a commanding officer. Those of you boys who know like army stuff and war stuff, I mean, it would be chaos if the soldiers were not submitting to their commanding officer. If the commanding officer knows we should go over there and shoot those guys and then everyone else like doesn't listen, they're like, oh, what if we just do backflips over here? They're gonna get exploded by grenades. Uh, you have to listen to your commanding officer. That's the way it works. So, we're going to look at the next verse. But first, I'm going to skip ahead because I went too far. All right, so. Oh, whoa, wait, no. No, no, no. <laughs> there we go. Back to the original. So, therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Okay, so resist the devil. Resisting is obviously the opposite of submitting, right? The guy's trying to untie you from the train tracks. If you're not submitting, you're resisting. You Resisting is like, I don't want that. I get away. No, stay. Like, get, psh, I resist you. That's resisting. But a lot of times we can think resisting just means avoid, right? We can think of resisting like resist the devil. When I think of resist the devil, like, I can think of avoid the devil, like, stay away from anything that could possibly be sinful. Don't go anywhere where sinners are that could be a bad influence on me and could tempt me. Like, just, like, avoid the devil and he'll flee from you? That doesn't seem to line up. Because if I'm on a battlefield and there's people shooting at me and I just try to avoid them, like, does that work? Like... You're like fighting the enemy and you're like, oh, I'm just going to go walk over here. You guys can keep fighting. No, they will track you down and shoot you. Like the, the enemy, like it's, it's crazy how we can think about that. But why would the devil flee from us if we just avoided him? We're in an all-out war with the devil, if you haven't noticed. In the Bible, it says, stay alert, watch out for your great enemy. It's not saying, hey, he's so great, the devil's awesome. No, it means like you're like big and formidable enemy. Uh, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Okay, Satan's not like, if you're just like, hey, Satan, I'm just going to like not go anywhere sinful today. Do you think he's going to be like, oh, cool, awesome, I'll go tempt someone else? No, he is out to destroy you. Just simply avoiding Satan is not enough. We're talking about resist the devil and he will flee for you. He will flee from you. Okay. Here's the thing. I think a lot of us in Christian families, especially some of us who have been a little bit more sheltered, maybe some of us who maybe grew up only at a Christian school, or even some of us who've been homeschooled, I think there's this kind of idea of like, we've got to shelter everybody, and we've got to protect them from everything that's evil. But here's the problem. Here's the problem I see, and especially, you know, please listen, if you're a homeschooler and you're thinking like, well, I'm okay, I don't need to resist the devil because I never see anything bad because my parents told me I can't get a phone until I'm 50, and I only watch the Jesus channel. I don't know if they have that. Um, you know, they, anyway, here's the deal. If you're one of those kids it's like, imagine a guy was born on a battlefield, but then like for like half of his life, they put him in like this tent off to the side, like a soundproof tent so he couldn't hear the gunshots. One day when he steps out of that tent, he's going to realize he's on a battlefield. 
You're never going to not be on a battlefield. Being on a battlefield is a part of the Christian life. I don't care if you grew up in the best, most sheltered, most loving Christian home. One day you're going to step out of it, and you're going to be in a public school. You're going to be in a high school. You're going to be in a college. You're going to be somewhere where things aren't going to be Jesus, Jesus, Jesus all the time, and it's going to be a battlefield for you. I want to ask you guys, what are you doing? Are you avoiding the devil? Are you just avoiding him? Are you just trying really hard to not be around him? Are you trying really hard to to not be attacked by him? Are you trying really hard to keep yourself clean? Those things are good. Those things are good. It's good to avoid evil. It's good to stay away from evil. Just like if you're on the battlefield and you see a mine, you know, and it's like you see like a, you guys know what a mine is? It's like those things they, they dig and it's these explosives. And if you step on it, you blow up. So if you see that on the ground, you shouldn't be like, oh, I'll step on it. It's good to avoid the traps the devil lays. But avoiding isn't enough. Now, some of us aren't even avoiding it. Some of us are just giving in. Some of you here may be at a place right now where you're just giving in to the enemy. The enemy's laying traps, and he's, he's basically laying cupcakes on the ground, but they're poison. And you know they're poison because you've read in the Bible they're poison, but you're like, maybe they're not poison. And you're just, you're taking them, and you're eating them, and they're filled with explosives and they'll kill you. They're poisonous and explosive. So it's like kind of double kill. It's like, why did he need to poison them and they were all going to blow up just in case the explosives didn't work? Anyway, some of us are giving in to the devil. Some of us are giving in to temptation left and right, just doing whatever our flesh wants to do, whatever our flesh desires. It's like this temptation, yes, that temptation, yes. Oh, it's Sunday. I repent. Next week, this temptation, that temptation. And you're just, you're getting shot at and now you're full of holes and you got Swiss cheese. You're not holy. You are holy, but you're not. Um, Here's what it says. I want to go back to that verse again because it's so good. It's so good, okay? What are you doing? Are you avoiding the devil? Are you giving in to him? Or are you resisting? You see, to me, resisting means putting up a fight. That's what it means. It's not like, oh, the devil, I'll avoid him. He'll come after you. You need to stand and fight. Why would he flee? Why would he flee if you were just avoiding him? Oh, I'm just not going to go near Satan. He'll come after you. But if you resist him, if you fight against him, that's the only thing that will cause him to flee. Now, you need to understand your fight is not alone. If you fight against the devil, you're not fighting by yourself. You have Jesus with you. You have your commanding officer going before you, taking the first shot if you rely on him in your life. Now, I heard a great study about this, and I wish I had a whole study to go into how we can resist the devil. The biggest way I can say to you to resist the devil is to pray. Because prayer is how we talk to our commanding officer. Prayer is how we talk to Jesus. We tell him what's going on. We tell him what the enemy's doing, and he already knows. But we let him know what is going on in our lives. We let him know the struggles, and we pray, and we ask for help. And there's a battle going on. There's demons fighting, but the The angel armies of God are so much stronger. And you need to understand those things are real. It's not just like, oh, church, yeah, that's where we talk about angels and demons. I believe they're everywhere. I believe they're in this room right now. Don't freak out. They're not going to possess you. Uh, If they did, that'd be weird. Um, But they're not, okay? If you have Jesus in your heart, you don't have to worry about that. But here's the deal, okay? When we pray, that's when we send in the reinforcements. That's when we send in the angel armies. 
for any situation you're going through. You need to believe that. You need to believe that God is powerful enough to get you through that bad day at school. You need to believe that God is powerful enough to get you through that crazy thing that's happening in your family. Maybe it's divorce. Maybe it's separation. But you need to believe that God is strong enough to get you through it and get you through it to the point where you come out the other side and you're stronger because you've been through a battle, but you've been through it with Jesus and you've won. I heard a great study by a guy named John Corson. He was talking about battling the enemy. He's talking about resisting the devil. And I think a lot of times for me, when I get tempted to do something or when I mess up, you know, if I, if I get tempted to, to say something or if I get tempted to do something, I, like my usual strategy sometimes before I kind of heard this study was just like avoid. Like just, oh, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna think about stealing that thing. I'm, I'm not gonna think about saying that really stupid thing. Like I just, no, I just, and you just kind of shove it like underneath. Like you, you lift the rug and you sweep whatever the temptation is under the rug. And you're just like, I'm not going to think about it. No, it's bad. Well, what happens is a lot of times when you push those things under the rug, they come back stronger. That thing that, you know, you get tempted. You're just like, oh, I'm not going to do that. That's bad. It's the devil. It comes back like the next day. And it's like, oh, like even stronger. Like, you know, you had this temptation. And it's like, you should do that. And then the next day it's like, oh, that thing you had the opportunity to do. Now it's back and you can do it. Your parents aren't home. Yes. Go take it, go do it. And it keeps coming back stronger and we just keep pushing it under the rug and pushing it under the rug. That's just avoiding the devil. He's not going to flee from you if you're just avoiding him. You need to stand and fight. So what you need to do, whatever your temptation, whatever your struggle, whatever your depression, whatever it is that you wrestle with, when it comes to you, you need to stop and stand and face it. You need to go, this is anger. This is disrespect. This is lust. This is gossip. You need to look at it right in the eye and go, this is what it is. This is my sin. And you need to call it sin. Go, this is a problem. I have a problem. Then you get on your knees and you say, Jesus, I need your help with this problem. I can only get through this with you. See, what? that's so different than just avoiding it. Just like, oh, I'm not going to think about that. Oh, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to disrespect my parents. I'm just going to keep these feelings of disrespect inside and not deal with them. When you start getting those disrespectful feelings to your parents... It's one thing to just kind of hold your tongue and go, oh, my parents are dumb, but I'm not going to say anything. It's another thing to go, oh, my gosh, I have disrespect in my heart right now. This is wrong. Jesus, please help me with this. Do you guys get what I'm saying? It's not just avoiding. It's fleeing. It's, or, it's sorry, it's not, um, that is avoiding is fleeing. It's not just running away from your problems. It's standing and facing your problems. Now, here's an even better thing. Um, my, my, uh, one of the guys I was listening to, Pastor John Corson, he was saying, so, you know, you stand, you resist, you pray, and then you start praying for like four, five, two, three other people that you know who are going through the same thing. So girls, you know, you get tempted to disrespect your mom, you get tempted to gossip, you know, and you just get bummed out, you stand, you face it, you pray, and then you pray for three friends. And maybe you don't even know if they're going through it, but just assume they are. Just pray, Lord, pray for her that you would help her not to gossip. I pray for her you'd help her not to disrespect her parents. I pray for her that you'd help her to walk closer to you. What you're doing is you're firing darts back into Satan's face. He's shooting all these temptations at you. You're like lifting up your shield, and then you're shooting back even stronger. It's amazing. I've been doing this in my own life, and it's just been incredible because it— it's so much than just avoiding my problems. It helps me to stop and go, okay, I need Jesus. And then I pray and then I ask for help. And then I'm praying for other people. And I can feel just the power of God in my heart. I really want to challenge you guys to do this. What are you doing? Are you avoiding? Are you giving in? Or are you resisting the devil? Let's keep going. 
Jesus said to Peter, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You guys are the church. You guys are the family of God. I don't care how spiritual you are. I don't care how much you go to church. I don't care how much you read your Bible. I'd love for you to do those things more, so I guess I do care. But what I mean by that is, whoever you are, no matter how spiritual you think you are, or how much you read your Bible, or how much you go to church, you are part of God's family. And the gates of hell cannot prevail against you if you're standing behind Jesus. If Jesus is in front of you and you're standing behind him and you're letting him be your shield and you're letting him be your protection and you're looking to him and relying him as, as your leader and your commanding officer, the gates of hell cannot prevail against you. Now, a lot of times as Christians, Jesus is over here and we're way off over here doing our own thing. We need to be with Jesus. You need to get with Jesus. You need to spend time with Jesus and rely on Jesus for your strength. And then whatever you do, whatever it is you're going through, whatever situation, the gates of hell cannot prevail against you. I don't care how hard the financial problem is. I don't care how crazy the drama is at school. I don't care how crazy the drama is at home. The gates of hell cannot prevail against you if you're standing behind Jesus Christ. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. James 4, 8. That's the next verse. So, draw near to God. Here are more verbs. Draw near, cleanse your hands, purify your hearts. For me, when I was in Hungary as a kid, I was cruising around, and there was lots of scary stuff. There was, like, hunchbacks. And there was like creepy old ladies who were like walking around with canes. There was this one guy with like a big mustache and he literally had like one of those like monkeys like hitting cymbals and like playing an accordion. Like it was a freaky place. Like I've never been in a place freakier than Hungary. But I was with my dad. I'm like a little kid. I drew near to my dad. I was by my dad. I was grabbing his arm because I knew he would get me through that place safe. God is your heavenly father. He's not just your commanding officer. He's your heavenly father who loves you so much. He wants you to draw near to him. And if you draw near to him, he'll draw near to you. That's a promise. Prodigal son's story, remember? He was, the son was so far away, but when he came home, the father ran to him. I don't care how much sin you've committed in the last week or the last month or the last year, the minute you turn towards God, he starts running towards you. Now this verse calls us double-minded. And I can be very double-minded sometimes. Double-minded, it's a battle between what's right and what's wrong. And for me, sometimes it comes in the form of snack foods because I'll buy snack foods and I'm just so excited about eating them. I'll buy a package of Oreos and literally within like two days, they're all gone. My wife is a very slow eater. So I'll buy snack foods. She'll get like one Oreo and she'll be like, hmm. And then she'll like work on that same Oreo for like a month, just like just nibbles, just every day. I'm exaggerating, but seriously, like she'll take forever to finish a bag of Oreos or just one Oreo. And I'll eat all the Oreos and she'll be like, you ate all the Oreos. And I'll be like, weren't you eating them too? She's like, no, I wasn't. I had one. You had 20. Fatty? No, I'm just kidding. She's never called me that, but uh, I am. So, um, <laughs> Here's the deal. I look at those Oreos, and a lot of times I'm double-minded because I'll be thinking, okay, I want what I want. I want all the Oreos. I know what my wife wants. Should I bless my wife or should I bless myself with Oreos? And a lot of times I go with myself. You see, 
Double-mindedness, it's where you've got one foot in the world and one foot in the things of God. And a lot of times we choose the things of the world and our mind isn't set on thinking about God more than our own desires, thinking, putting others before ourselves. A lot of times it's just what we can get. Now it says, cleanse your hands, you sinners. Now, I don't mean destroy the evidence, right? If I'm eating my wife's Oreos and then like I wash my hands, I'm like, I wash my hands in this matter, she'll never know. If she comes in, she's gonna see all the Oreos are eaten. In the same way, whatever you're doing, you know, if you destroy the evidence, if you somehow hide what you're doing from it, God still knows. He's not like, oh, what did they do? I have no idea. No, he knows exactly all of our sins, which is freaky and crazy, but incredible that he still loves us. Now, a lot of times you'll be making your bed, right? Now imagine, who's got white sheets? Who's got white blankets, right? Just like pure white. You don't have like crazy like race car designs or anything. Like your, your blankets on your bed are white, right? So imagine you're making your bed. And then imagine you're like, let's just imagine if you don't have one, you've got this three-year-old little brother and he's been out playing in a mud puddle and he's just all covered in mud and his hands are dirty. He's like super sweet and he's like, I want to help you make the bed. And you're like, no. And he's like moving his hands towards it. And now there's just dirt all over the bed, right? A lot of times that's how we are. We come to God and we want to serve God and we want to bless God because he's our heavenly father and we really do. But we've got dirty hands. Because we've been out sinning, we've been out in the mud. God wants us to be able to serve him. God wants us to be able to help, but God also wants us to be holy. Now, I'm not saying that God doesn't use sinners to help him. He uses sinners every day. I'm a sinner, and thankfully God uses me. But God does want us to clean our hands and purify our hearts. And the things we do with our hands a lot of times starts in the heart. Jesus said, if you look at a person with anger, that's basically murder. And a lot of times murder started when a guy looked at another guy and said, I hate him. And that hate just built for years and years and years. And finally, the hate takes over. And what was in his heart now happens with his hands. A lot of times lust is the same way. A guy will look at a girl and he'll just lust after her. And eventually he does what he wanted to do in his own heart. Be careful with your heart and your mind. Protect your heart and your mind. If you're watching things or listening to things that put thoughts in your heart and mind that are not good, don't kid yourself that those things won't eventually happen with your hands. Don't kid yourself. Cleanse your hands, but first purify your heart and your mind. No one wakes up in the morning and looks in the mirror and says, I'm gonna be a murderer today. It's a progression. It's decisions that they made Choices that they made. What are you doing? What are you doing when you sin? What are you doing when you have dirty hands? Are you hiding from God? Are you avoiding from God? Like Adam and Eve, are you running through the forest trying to cover up? Just, you know, you don't want God to see you. God already sees you. God knows every sin that you've done. You've come here today and you've got probably some sins underneath your belt that happened this last week. God knows. And you know what? He loves you. Draw near. Check this out, okay? It's the difference between, let's imagine you're a little kid. You've been out running around. You're just filthy. You're dirty. It's the difference between having a parent where you know if you draw near to them, if you go near them and you're covered in mud, they're going to spank you. They'll be like, how could you? You're dirty. Get over here. Ah, get in the bathtub. Like, that's, that's not God. God does not want to draw you near so he can beat you because you're dirty. 
God wants you to draw near so he can cleanse you. He's a loving father who sees the kid running out. He sees you, his little kid, running around, getting dirty, getting in the mud, and he says, come near because I'm going to wash you. Come near because I'm going to cleanse you. I'm going to make you clean. God loves you so much, and he knows you guys struggle with sin. I want you guys to know that. The sins that you hate, the sins that you wish that you could just stop completely, but you can't, the sins that you prayed over and over, God, take these things away. I just, the sins that you just keep doing over and over, you keep messing up. God knows what you're going through. He's not sitting up in heaven judging you, going, you horrible person, I hate you. He loves you. He wants to cleanse you. He wants to make you clean. And the more you walk with him, the stronger you're going to get in all those areas you are weak in. Draw near to God. What are you doing? Draw near to God. Now, this next part is a little heavy. It says lament and mourn and weep. It's like crying, just heavy, heavy crying. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom, James 4 through 9 says. Now, you might say, that's a really depressing verse, Aaron. Why would you share this verse? Like, do you want us just to all go home and cry? Sounds like a witch's curse. Let your tears, or let your joy be turned to tears and your skin to dust or I don't know it sounds like a crazy witch's curse but it's not it's the bible here's what it means to me staticus criacus it's a spell okay <laughs> sorry here's what it means to me okay when I was a little kid I've told some of you guys this story before so I'll just go through it really quick but when I was a little kid I remember I was watching the tv and uh, I saw something gross okay it was something dirty on the tv I was uh, probably seven Okay? I'd never seen anything dirty on the TV before. It was just Mickey Mouse cartoons all my life, and that was the best. It destroyed me. I was so sad because I knew it was sin, and I knew that it was wrong. Now, if I, I'm not going to tell you what it was, but honestly, if I told you what it was, most of you guys would be like, that's not a big deal. Like, that's, it was like the 90s, you know? And like that, you'd be like, I see worse things all the time. Like, that's, that's not a bad thing. Like, that's okay. But I knew it was sin, and I knew it broke God's heart, and so it broke my heart. And I just, I remember crying about it, going to my dad and just like, just sobbing on the tennis court. Because I was like, I saw this thing on TV, and I'm so, oh, I'm so ashamed, and like, I know it's bad. And, and I was just crying, and some of you guys are laughing at me right now. But listen, listen, <laughs> listen. A lot of times we have the wrong reaction to sin. And I think the most common way this comes through is television shows, we'll pop on things like Family Guy and stuff like that, and we'll laugh at the dirtiest jokes, and we'll laugh at sin, and we'll just, we'll take joy from these things. We'll take joy in the things that God hates. We'll take joy in perverted jokes, and then we'll tell them at school because we want to fit in, we want to be cool, and we'll take joy in these things. A lot of times we can see that the suffering of someone else, even a celebrity, maybe a particularly annoying celebrity who just gets on everyone's nerves and we hear that they had a bad day or they had a bad hair day or, or just they had just some horrible thing and we'll laugh at them and be like, oh, serves them right. Can you imagine if someone walked up to you and stabbed you and you were just like, <laughs> yes! Like, or like imagine... Imagine someone set you on fire, and you're just like, this is the best thing ever. Those would be really inappropriate reactions to terrible things. But that's how it seems to God. When we laugh at sin, when we take joy in horrible things, it'd be like getting stabbed and laughing about it or being set on fire and just like, this is so great. 
That's as serious it is, is to God. When we laugh at sin, God's looking at us and he's like, you're my children. You shouldn't be laughing at these things. You see, what breaks God's heart should break our hearts. What are you doing? Are you laughing at sin? Are you taking joy in the things of the world? What are you doing with your own sin? The world says ignore your problems. Push your problems under the carpet. Focus on what's good about you. Focus about the positive things. But I'll just be honest, in my own life, one of the best things has been honestly coming to God, realizing that my sin breaks his heart, even the little things, like disrespect to authority, or just anger, or even like impatience. And just realizing that that stuff in me breaks God's heart and not, because you know what? We want to be, we want to seem like we're okay. That's the biggest thing about us. We want to feel like there's nothing wrong with us. That you don't want to think about what's bad about you. You don't want to think about the darkness inside you. We want to focus on what's good about us because that's the way we're wired as humans. We want to push all the bad stuff under and just go, I'm so great. I'm so amazing. I'm good at these things. I'm not going to think about these things I'm bad at. But God says we need to lament and mourn and weep. Our laughter should be turned into mourning and our joy into gloom. Now listen, please listen. God wants you to have joy in him. God wants you to be blessed. God wants you to have a happy life, but you're not gonna have that happy life. You're not gonna have that joyful life unless you let sin break your heart. Because if you don't, you're gonna be taking joy in sin. And eventually, that's gonna really, really turn into some heartbreak for your life. The Bible says sin is pleasurable for a season, but it eventually kills you. Isn't it so much better to have moments in a happy life where we're taking time to honestly just cry over our sin and then have this blessed life than to spend our lives just being super happy about our sin and just whatever, it's okay, I can do whatever I want. I'll go behind my parents' back and just have joy in all this sin and no one knows and it's okay. And then just be destroyed later on. I've seen people whose lives have been ruined because they spent a big part of their life taking joy in sin drugs, alcohol, sexual relationships outside of marriage, and now they had their season a couple years where things were great, and now they're just, they're addicts on the street, their marriage is destroyed because they've been cheating, they are addicted to drugs, and their lives are just sad. I don't want that for any of you. I want to encourage you guys. Like I said, again, for me, those times where I come to God and I just say, God, I've really messed up here. I've really made a mistake. And I even allow myself, to, we don't really allow ourselves to get emotional in these days. We don't allow people to see our emotions a lot of times. You know, if, some, if a sad scene comes on in the movie theater, especially if you're guys, you know, we'll hold back the tears. And we do that with God. We don't allow ourselves to really be bummed out with what's wrong with us. I challenge you guys. I challenge you. If you are sitting here and you're like, I don't know how to do that, ask God. The Bible says that God gives us the things we ask for that are holy. If you go to God and you say, God, I have a hard heart. My sin doesn't break my heart. I see sin and I'm just like, whatever, it's okay, it happens, it's all right. That's been me before in junior high, just messing up with so much with disrespect. Just disrespecting my parents all the time. I thought it was just what kids did. My heart was not broken about those things. I thought it was just part of who I was. If we go to God and we ask him, God, please break my heart over the things that break your heart, he will do that. And you'll see change in your life. You'll see amazing change in your life. 
Here's the last thing we want to talk about. The last verse, and it's a great one. Verse 10. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Very simply, humbling yourself, it's just, it's, it's taking off the mask. It's not pretending to be better than who you are. It's not pretending to be this goody-two-shoe kid. It's taking off the mask and admitting your fault. It's not, we try to make ourselves higher than what we are. We, we try a lot of times to be as popular as we can be. We try to just make ourselves look as best as possible. We show up to church and we just are trying to look so good. And people ask, hey, this, I, I get this all the time. People, I ask people, you know, hey, can I pray for you? Are you okay? We'll do small groups. Be like, hey, can I pray for you? What's going on in your life? People just be like, no, I'm good. I think I'm all right. Really? You have zero sin in your life? Really? You have absolutely nothing you're struggling with? You have the perfect situation? Humbling yourself in the sight of the Lord is taking off the mask in front of God and in front of people and saying, I have issues. I have problems. I have things I need prayer for. And I have people in my life that I'll go to and I'll tell them my problems. Caleb Donnelly is one of them. I'll talk to him. I'll be like, dude, these are all my problems. These are all the things I stink at. Can you pray for me? You guys need that. What are you doing? Are you humbling yourself? Or are you walking around with that mask trying to pretend you're someone else? You know, there was a story about a boy named Nicky. And Nicky was this football player. And it was his uh, junior year of high school. And he goes out for the football team. He's not the biggest guy, but he's fast. He can run. So he joins the football team. And he starts bulking up. He starts gaining some weight, not fat, but muscle. He starts working out. And you know what? For the first time in his life, things were going really good for him because he started doing really good on that football team. He'd walk down the halls, and the girls would say hi to him, girls who normally would not even know who he was. You know, they're, they're saying hi to him. He's more popular. People are accepting him because he's doing so well on this football team. He's starting to make a name for himself. He scores a few touchdowns. People are stoked about it. Things are going really good for him. But one day, he gets hit by a tackle, and he hits the field hard, and he gets taken to the hospital. And what they found was that his spleen had ruptured. So they went to work on him, and they operated. And while they had opened up his body to operate on him, they noticed something very unusual. And when Nikki woke up, he was sitting in the doctor's office. And the doctor turned to him and his mom, and he said, Nikki, I have some really bad news to tell you. We found cancer inside your body when we were operating on your spleen. And so... Nikki knew that he might not survive this. And they were saying, we've got treatments and we can help you, but it was rough for him. When he went through those treatments, I mean, it was like every day he'd be going to the doctors. Every day he'd be sitting through those treatments. His hair fell out and he was completely bald. And what happened was he dropped out of school after that because he didn't want to walk around school bald. I'm sure you guys wouldn't walk around, want to walk around school bald. So he started homeschooling and just struggling, just the, the chemotherapy treatments would just cause him to be so nauseous. He was throwing up every day, struggling every day. And he started to even lose his faith in the Lord because he thought, God, why would you do this to me? God, why would you allow this to happen to me? And as he was going through this terrible thing, he went through a round of chemotherapy. And he shows up in the doctor's office. And it was just another doctor's appointment. He did this almost every day going to the doctor's. But the doctor looked at him, and his eyes were just, just 
huge. And, and, the, and Nikki was like, what, what's wrong, doctor? And the doctor said, well, it's not what's wrong, it's what's right. And Nikki said, what's going on? What, what's going on, doctor? And he said, it's gone. And Nikki kind of leaned in and he's like, what are you talking about? Like, what, what's gone, doctor? Your cancer, your cancer is gone. You're completely healed. And Nikki was just kind of quiet and his mom was like, oh my gosh. And the doctor was like, I'm not, you know, I'm not gonna lie. Like, I mean, we, we've had good successes, but I've never seen anyone's treatment go so well. Because yesterday you were the worst I've ever seen. And today you're completely healed. I've never seen anyone healed that fast. You must have someone up there looking out for you, Nikki. And Nikki was quiet. And on the way home, he was driving. And on the way home, his mom asked him, Nikki, why are you so quiet? Aren't you happy? And Nikki said, I just know that now nothing will ever be the same. I was so prideful and I was so angry at God for what he did to me. And I should have been humble. And I should have realized that God was bringing me through what I was going through for a reason because he wanted to use my life. And I'm just so bummed that I wasn't humble. And his mom was like, Nikki, it's okay. Like you have the rest of your life to humble yourself with God and to humble yourself by making your story just a, a testimony to what God's done. But the story didn't end there because when he showed up to the house, he opened the door and there were 60 bald football players in his room. It was all the football players from his school and even some guys from the other teams and they'd all shaved their heads for Nikki. So now like there's all these bald football players and they run us, give him a hug and they totally demolish a coffee table in the process and they're just, they're, they're just hugging him. They're like, dude, we love you, man. We're so glad you got through this. And I think it's such a great story of humility because those football players were willing to make themselves low. They were willing to shave their heads because they were like, Nikki, we don't want, you're gonna come back to school, but we don't want you to not fit in. We want you to just be like everyone else so we all shaved our heads, all the football players, so we'd look just like you. But even more than the humility of that, Jesus, so much more humble. Those football players may have shaved their head, but Jesus actually got infected with the cancer. What I mean by that is sin. Sin is a disease. It's a cancer. It eats away our body and soul and kills us. Jesus came down to earth, and when he lived a perfect life and then died on the cross, he took the disease on for us. He paid the price. We should have had to suffer and die, just like a cancer patient, just a slow, painful death. But Jesus took that slow, almost the slowest and most painful death anyone could go through on the cross for us. And if any of you guys aren't sure today about your salvation, if any of you guys are here and maybe you're thinking, am I saved? I don't know. Now, listen, please. I, when I was a kid, I would sin, and I, anytime I'd sin, I'd just freak out and be like, oh, I don't know if I'm saved. If you've given your life to Jesus, if you sin, you need to know that you're in the hands of God and you're okay. But what I'm asking today is maybe some of you guys have never truly really given your life to the Lord. If there's any doubt in your heart, if there's any doubt in your mind that you are committed to Jesus, it's better to be safe than sorry. It's better to accept that free gift that he gave you. And I want to give you guys an opportunity today to accept Jesus if you haven't already done so. So here's what we're going to do. Brian's going to come up here. He's going to lead us in a couple more songs of worship. And what I'm going to ask is, I want the counselors to all go stand in the back, and we're going to dim the lights down a little bit. And I want to ask you guys, what are you doing? Maybe there's some things today that you need to do. Maybe there's some things that you need to take care of. Maybe you need to submit 
Maybe God's telling you there's something that you're supposed to do. Maybe, there's, maybe God's telling you there's something that you're not supposed to do. And maybe you just haven't given in yet. Maybe you need to submit to him. If that's you, come back and get prayer for that. Maybe you need to resist. Maybe the devil is just attacking you lately and you just don't have the strength. You need to come get prayer that God would help you resist the devil, that God would help you fight against the enemy. Maybe you need to draw near. Maybe you feel so far away from God. Maybe you feel so distant. You need to come and just confess that and just tell someone what you're going through so that they can pray for you. Maybe you need to cleanse or purify. Maybe there's things in your heart that you know are wrong. Come get prayer. Let us know what's going on. We'll pray for you. The Bible says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to cleanse us and purify us from all unrighteousness. Maybe you need to lament or mourn or weep. Maybe you realize your heart is hard and sin doesn't bother you. And you sin and it's just like, it doesn't phase you. And maybe you're sitting here right now and you're just, you're not phased. But in your heart, the Holy Spirit is telling you that you need to have a soft heart. Come get prayer and watch what God does. Whatever you do, humble yourself before the Lord. Even if you don't get prayer, take this time during worship to just pray to God. You don't need us to pray for you. We'd love to pray for you. But you can pray for all of these things on your own as well. We'd love to pray for you guys. We'd love for you guys to come back and get prayer. But humble yourself. Whatever you do, humble yourself before the sight of the Lord. There should be none of us here, including counselors, who don't humble ourselves today and do one of these things at least. We need to come to God all the time for these things. What are you doing? These are the verbs God gives us, the things he tells us to do. And I'm so thankful that he's given us these things. It's not this checklist where you have to do these things or I'm going to be mad at you, but it's these things we get to do. We get to submit to God. We get to get help against the devil. The devil. We get to draw near to our Father who loves us. It's awesome. Brian, why don't you head up here? And as I'm praying, counselors, why don't you guys head to the back? Dear Lord, I thank you so much for this day. I thank you for this opportunity you've given us, Lord, to come to you and to draw near to humble ourselves, to submit to you. And I pray, God, that every person here would be driven by your Holy Spirit to do something, that they wouldn't just sit in the chairs and not participate, but that they would realize that you're giving them an opportunity to, to respond to you today, to respond to your Holy Spirit. I pray, God, that you would bless them in this time and fill them with your Spirit, with our hearts, with our minds and souls. We want to submit and humble ourselves to you in your name.